Each year, FAM Church has a vision for the year that helps to move us forward. Join us and our lead pastor, Brian Lane, as we look at our vision for 2018, Revive. Well, good morning, and what a day. In a few minutes, our fast will be over. And so, <laughs> Carol is ready for a Coke. Are you ready for a Coca-Cola, Carol? All right. And so I thought to myself, what would be better than to end the fast with a 42.3 hour message? That way we could extend this a little bit longer and get closer to the glory of God, right? But then I thought that might not go well for me and people might start eating the chairs and stuff. And so uh, I, I, I decided not to do that. But I got to tell you, it was hard to make it through Tuesday. All right, we headed out to, uh, to Tampa, to Feeding Tampa Bay, to pick up the food that we we're going to be distributing on Wednesday. And like, seriously, I, on the drive back, all I was thinking to myself was, I'm so over this fast. When I get back, we're dropping this stuff off. I'm going to Palace Pizza and get me a slice of pepperoni, man, because I was just ready to be done. I had my brain set on it, but I came to my senses and I didn't go to Palace Pizza. The pull was strong, but I was able to resist and finish my fast. And so I hope that all of you guys were able to as well. And so what I wanted to do this morning as we are uh, kind of celebrating what happened uh, last year in our business meeting in just a little bit, I want to I talk about what God has been speaking in regards to 2018 to me in regards to the church, where we are headed, what God specifically has called us to be about this coming year when it comes to our walk with him as a church. And, and how I um, you know, basically came about this was I've been talking to people, I've been talking to people in our Tuesday morning prayer time, I've been talking to other people like in our board meetings and other times when I, we've been getting together, and then I've been spending time in prayer and just saying, God, what is it that you have for us in 2018? What is it that you are calling us specifically as a church to and to be a part of? And I feel like the big idea that came through all of that was the word revive. And so I believe that this is the word for Fam Church. This is our vision for this year. And so, of course, the question with that becomes, what does that even mean? What does revive mean? We've got probably all kinds of different ideas in our head what, what that means. The definition of the word means several things. It means to regain life, regain consciousness, regain strength, or to give energy to. And so when I'm thinking about those definitions, the two things that I specifically want to target here are the bring strength and give energy to. Because I believe as a church body, we need more strength from Jesus in 2018, and we need more energy and power to come from him to focus our lives down on him and what he is saying. But I also believe that there are some who are in a place where they need to regain their life from Jesus as their source of life has wandered from him and gone to other sources that, plain and simply, cannot give life. And so how do we launch into this? What do we talk about? Well, let's talk about being revived. I don't think there's many people in here that have been revived. Has anybody, like, literally been brought back from the dead? I mean, there might be a couple of you in here, but, okay, Ruth Ann. We got Ruth Ann in the front row. Anyone else like to raise their hand and say that they were brought back from the dead? No, okay. Marie Orfino? Maurice, did you have your hand up? Oh, okay, I was like, what? I didn't hear that story. Um, okay, so, so there's a couple of people, but 
I think if we were to all really look at our life and our situations and the places that we, would, we have been, not all of us have been literally brought back to life, but we have been in situations where we've needed strength, where we've needed energy to make it through. Maybe you were on a sports team and you guys were, you were pushing to the finish. You were doing a championship drive and you were hoping for a bye for one week so that your team could have a week off in order to regain your energy and strength to be able to compete and finish out the season that you were in. Uh, maybe, maybe it's those of us who have kids, a mom or a dad, and suddenly sickness swept through your house and everybody was throwing up and everybody had diarrhea. How many of you have been there with a house full of kids? Amen. I mean, that's, that's kind of how it rolls, right? Well, after a few days of taking care of kids, cleaning up puke and diarrhea, you get pretty wore out, right? I mean, you're not sleeping very much. You're taking care of it. It's just, yeah. And so, and so you need to be revived. Maybe you were passed out or knocked out. And somebody was sitting there slapping you across the face. Hey, wake up, wake up, wake up. Or maybe it's finals week, and in the last three days you've gotten five hours of sleep, and you're barely operating on fumes, and so you need some time to get revived, to get strength, to get energy, to to rebuild and restore for the coming year or the coming school court. I mean, I hated finals time, because every time, every time after finals got done, I got sick. I got strep throat, I got the flu, I got something. I I actually hated finals because it just drained the energy from me. But the point is that there's been a point in time where each of us in our lives have needed some sort of reviving, and that can be said for our spiritual lives as well. And so this morning, to kind of explore this topic and to explore this thought, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Psalms. Uh, Psalms is one of those books that people have heard of, even if they've never opened a Bible, and it's a collection of songs and poems written by several different people. Uh, One of the most famous writers uh, in the book of Psalms is King David, Israel's most famous king. And this book actually isn't just one book. It's actually five books that were compiled over hundreds of years. And we're going to be in Psalm 85 this morning. And you're welcome to turn there if you know where it's at. Uh, it's a little more than halfway through the Old Testament. It's after Job and before Proverbs. Uh, the psalm that we're going to be spending our time in this morning is a part of what they call book three of the book of Psalms, and it was not written by David. And uh, we're going to be focusing on verses six and seven uh, in Psalm 85, and this is what they say. It says, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. And so to start off digging into this text, what I want to look at is a section, a part of this uh, psalm that we did not read. And that is what's called the subscript. On all of these psalms, they have the title, and then underneath it, they have the subscript. And what the subscript uh, tells us is who wrote the psalm. And when we look at this one, it says that this is a psalm by the sons of Korah. And so when we look at that and we see that this is by the sons of Korah, then I hope the first question that you ask yourself is, who are the sons of Korah and why should I care what they have to say? And, and when you look at Korah and you look at his, the, the sons of Korah, it's actually a very interesting discussion as to who Korah and his sons were. We find Korah in the book of Numbers chapter 16. 
And uh, he was a dude who was kind of hanging out. This was when uh, the Israelites had come out of slavery in Egypt and they were wandering through the desert waiting to get into the promised land. And they're kind of going through the countryside and Moses is having encounters with God. Well, Korah gets a, a group of about 250 people that become Korah's followers. And, and these guys are, get, are together one day. They're hanging out and they start to have a discussion. They're like, man, who gave Moses and Aaron the right to be our priests? How do we know that they heard from God? How do we know that those are the people that God has chosen to be our high priests? And so they start to have this conversation, and they decide as a group that no, in fact, Moses and Aaron were not the ones who were selected to be the high priest, but it was in fact Korah and his followers who were supposed to be the high priest. Well, of course, word gets back to Moses that this conversation is going on, and so Moses calls these dudes in and says, hey, I need to meet with you because we got to discuss this because this is a problem right here. And so they come in, and so Moses and Korah have a conversation, and so Moses decides he's going to challenge them to an incense burning. That sounds pretty tough, right? I mean, if we were those today, we'd challenge them to a fight, right? We'd maybe want to arm wrestle them or something like that. Do something like that. But Moses, he was not, maybe he wasn't a tough guy, and so he's like, let's burn incense and see who's going to win this thing, you know? And so, and so here's the deal. What they do is Korah and all of his followers, they take an incense burner, they put incense in it, and uh, they bring it before the Lord, and then Aaron does the same thing. He takes incense his incense burner, and brings it before the Lord. And this is what happens. Um, the winner of this competition, whoever survived, whoever lived, was the winner of this competition. And this is what happens in Numbers 16, 28 through 35. It says, Then Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things, and that it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death and suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belonged to them and they go down alive into the realm of the dead, then you will know that these men have, been tr that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. They went down alive into the realm of the dead with everything they owned. The earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled shouting, the earth is going to swallow us too. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. Uh, one kind of humorous observation, I don't know if you noticed it here, but Moses, when he offered the challenge, he's like, all right, if you guys die a natural death, then God didn't speak to you. But if the earth swallows you up, you know, Moses wasn't going to have the earth swallow him up right there because he was looking to live longer, it seems. And so if he was wrong, he wanted them to die a natural life. But anyways, uh, that's a crazy story, isn't it? I mean, think about it. They're, 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 they're going before God with this fire, and all of a sudden the earth just opens up and swallows this guy and his family and his possessions whole. I mean, just like a mouth opens up. Did you ever see, uh, what was it, the Return of the Jedi when they were out in the desert and there was that big thing that uh, had that, and they were knocking people into it and it was digesting them over a long period of time? It was, it was kind of like that sort of deal out there, right? And so they get swallowed up, and then the 250 followers that are following behind him, they get burned by fire. I guess, I don't know which would be worse, being eaten by the earth or burned by fire, but uh, either, way, either way, this clearly marks the end of Korah, and it also marks um, the end of Korah's followers, but Korah's sons survive this ordeal. 
Perhaps they were too young to understand their father's uprising, or maybe they understood who God was and God's power and authority, and so they didn't get involved in the active rebellion that their dad participated in. Um, But here's the deal. Even though Korah rebelled against God, God still had a plan for Korah's family. God did not cut him off right there and say, because you rebelled against me, I am done with you. If we were to go seven generations ahead, the man, the prophet Samuel, who led Israel for many years, was from the family line of Korah. He was a son of of Korah. The, The Korahites became doorkeepers at the house of God, which is a fancy way of saying the temple in Jerusalem. One group of Korahites joined King David in various military exploits and won the reputation of being expert warriors. However, the most remarkable thing to note about the sons of Korah is during the time of King David, they became great worship leaders at the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the tent that the Jews worshiped in before King Solomon built the temple. They played an important role in all worship services, but especially the Thanksgiving service when the Ark of the Covenant was brought to Jerusalem. And so what you have is the sons of Korah became David's killer worship team. Okay, they became his musicians and his singers, and David built this killer worship team with these dudes. And, and so what I want to say to you, completely unrelated to what we are talking about today, is this. It doesn't matter where you come from, who your daddy is, what your family has done, or the background that you have, God still has a plan for your life. Jesus can and will use you. Too many people think that because they've done things, because they've rebelled against God, because they've gone in directions and places that they're not supposed to go, that God does not have a plan and purpose for their life, but it is simply not true. The only way you can allow your past to affect what God wants to do with you is if you let your past affect what God wants to do with you. There's no other way that that can happen. There's nothing that can hold you back other than yourself. God is there and he's ready to escort you to another level in him if you will let him. All right, so let's move back on to our main topic this morning. And so we have this chorus family being used by God in such powerful ways that here we are talking about them thousands of years later. And what they were asking for in this poem, in this song, was for God to revive and restore the people of Israel. Because it seems like at this point in time, in the nation's history, for some reason, they've wandered away from God. They've gotten away from their salvation, from their hope in the Lord, and they have gone in a different direction, and it's caused them, these guys, to cry out and call out to God and say, God, look, we've wandered away. We need you to come and revive us. And so the question I asked myself then at this point is, well, what would cause a nation to wander away from God? And I came up with a couple of things that I think are the basis and the foundation for why many people wander away from faith in God. The reasons are they're either in a time of prosperity or they're in a time of tragedy. What do I mean by that? Well, let me explain it this way. So people go through hard, difficult challenging times in life. They have pain, they have hurt, they have wounds, they have things that happen to them. 
that they say to themselves, man, this is really painful, this really hurts. And then they think about God as their heavenly father and and they say to themselves, man, you know what? God says he's my heavenly father. And I think about my kids and I think about the stuff that my kids go through and if I knew that my kids were gonna go through something really painful, really difficult and really hard, I would do everything that I could to protect them from going into that pain, from entering into that hurt, from being in a place where they suffer so much. But God is my heavenly father. He doesn't protect me from stuff like that and so there's one of two things I can conclude. Either A, God is not there Or B, he doesn't really love me the way he says he did because he didn't stop this terrible thing from happening to me. So you know what? Bump him. I'll live my life the way I want to. Thank you very much. We don't want anything to do with a God that would put us through something that was full of hurt and pain, and so we walk away. I mean, that's just basic human nature right there. And I have had conversation after conversation after conversation with people who have been in this exact same spot. I think of a father who I once talked to who had a, who had a child who had severe medical issues and the child was constantly in the hospital and they were constantly battling with medical issues and because of the, the medical issues and time off from work, they were struggling financially and life was just one battle after another and they couldn't understand why a God who loved them and cared for them would allow their family to go through a situation like that and have them be in so much pain and hurt and suffering. Or I think of one of the youth one time who I was talking to and he was telling me about his home and how abusive his home was and how you know there was physical abuse, there was sexual abuse, there was mental abuse and they looked at their lives and they said, man, you're, you're gonna tell me that God loves me? Why would God allow me as a kid to have to go through all of this kind of pain and suffering and struggle and trial? Why would he do that? And if that's who God is, I don't want anything to do with him. I've even talked with veterans who've been through war and have told me that what they've seen on the battlefield They cannot believe that human beings would treat each other like that and they could not believe that there was a God out there because of what they saw on the battlefield. And maybe some of you are in this place, one of these places this morning, as you walk in this room. You have pain, you have hurt, there's anger about how these things have caused you to say, you know what, I'm keeping God out here at a distance because I don't have time for someone like that. And that could be the situation that Israel was in in a nation, as a nation, when they were praying, God, please revive our land, because people were suffering and it was pushing them away from God. Then on the other side of things is prosperity. when we get to a place where we're prosperous. And so we conclude that we really don't need God in our lives. Why? Well, because we've got everything that we need right at our hands and our fingertips. We look at ourselves and we say, man, I've got, I've got the money I need. I've got a house. I've got a car. I've got comfort. I've got stability. I've got all of this stuff. Uh, life is going great. Life is going the way I want to. And because of that, it's not like we consciously make a decision to push God off to the sides and the edges. But what happens is those other things come in and we get involved in those other things. And subconsciously, God ends up getting pushed further and further out to the edges of 
our life. And like everything else that gets pushed to the margins, it slowly decays and disappears. See, there's a reason that Jesus told us that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's because prosperity changes who we are. And I don't have to go through the argument once again. I mean, I've said it several times in different messages, but every single one of us in this room are in the richest 1% of the people on the planet, regardless of what our income level is. The richest 1%. And so we are rich whether we make $25,000 a year or $125,000 a year. Compared to the rest of the world, we are very wealthy. And, And if you were here Uh, A few weeks ago, I'd mentioned the stats about the Great Depression, um, when uh, that people actually gave more to God during the Great Depression than they give now, which was kind of odd because we are way more prosperous, we have way more stuff, way more money, way more everything than they had during the Great Depression, and yet people are less likely to give now than they were in the 1930s when finances were such a struggle, where they didn't know where their next dollar was coming from, when they were waiting in lines for, for soup and for bread and for, for basic necessities. And, and here we are now, none of us would want to say, hey, yeah, I'd love to go back to the Great Depression. I wouldn't want to go live through the Great Depression. I mean, I kind of like, like where I'm at now, you know what I mean? And, uh, but, and so that's how it changes us. When we have more, it changes us. And for many people, the more they have, the more they want. And the more that we want for ourselves, the more me-focused we become, the less others-focused we are, which moves us further and further away from the message of Jesus. Prosperity also makes us comfortable, and being comfortable has an effect on us as well. Because we start to think that things that were once luxuries are now necessities. I gotta tell, so I've got now, you know, four people with jobs in my house. And so we came to the conclusion that we needed four vehicles, right? Because there's everybody's going everywhere. But in, in this message, I was thinking about this because we now have four vehicles and it was justified because we needed four vehicles. You know, Dana goes to work. Uh, she does her, uh, she's got stuff that she needs to take care of. I need a vehicle. I go to work. I've got stuff I need to take care of. Ashley needs a vehicle. She goes to work. She goes to college. And then she's got stuff she needs to take care of. And then Caitlin, uh, she, she goes to work. And she works five, six days a week sometimes. And, and so we're saying to ourselves, man, we need four cars, but do we really need four vehicles? I think the answer is no, but why do we need four, why do we say we need four vehicles? Because we don't want to inconvenience anyone in our house. I don't want to have to give up my vehicle. Dana doesn't want to have to give up her vehicle so that one of the kids can go to work because what if while they're gone, I want to go somewhere. Then what happens? I mean, I, Christmas, the week between Christmas and New Year, I was at home like half the week without a vehicle. 
I was so aggravated. I think that's what pushed me over the edge to get a fourth vehicle was because I got sick and tired of sitting at my house. I'm just not a guy who can sit there and do nothing. Drives me absolutely insane, okay? Drives me insane sitting doing nothing. And so things that were once seemed like a luxury for vehicles, we've now determined are a necessity because we want comfort, convenience, and that sort of thing in life. And uh, you could also think about multiple TVs. How many TVs do people have in their houses? We got one for mom, one for dad, one for each kid, however many kids you got. Why? Well, because if mom wants to watch something, dad wants to watch something else, and the kids want to play video games, we can't inconvenience anyone. We can't make anyone uncomfortable. See, when I grew up, we just had one TV. <laughs> And that's all you could use. If, and, and we did have video games when I was a kid. But if dad was watching something, or if mom was watching something, guess what? I watched it. I didn't play video games. But now, but now, I don't want to be inconvenienced. She doesn't want to be inconvenienced. They don't want to be inconvenienced. And so, we say, this thing that used to be a luxury has now become a necessity. Then we start to interpret the gospel under this umbrella of comfort and need. And Jesus saw this day coming when, and he warned of it. Where did that happen? It's found in John 10, chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 10. Um, the verse says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And now you may be looking at this verse and going, I don't get the connection. All right, well, let me, let me explain um, one of the words here in here. This word that's interpreted as destroy. This word is an interesting word. In the Greek, which is what the book of John was originally written in, many of the times when that word is used, it is used for somebody who makes a sacrifice for something. And so what this is communicating here is the thief comes only to steal and kill and to get us to sacrifice for the wrong reasons. And if the thief cannot come in and steal or kill us, he is more than happy to refocus our lives so that we are making sacrifices for the wrong things and in the wrong direction. Because if he can keep us busy making choices that make no difference, that make no impact, that do not speak into anyone's life except for mine, and he can keep us there, he knows that he's got us down, we're not going to make a difference in this world, people aren't going to hear about Christ through us, we're not going to be a transforming force in this world. And really, this is something that we do ourselves because we decide what we sacrifice for. Nobody else decides that for us. And if you think about your life, how many things have gone wrong in your life because you've made the wrong decisions, you've made the wrong choices of sacrifice? I have done this over and over again. Dana and I, we were just talking about this the other night. We had this discussion. If you could change one thing in your life history, what would it be? And, and I told her this. I said, you know what I would do? I would go back to when I, was, when I was a senior in high school, and I would tell myself, give your life to Christ now, 
And then when you graduate high school, go to a place to prepare for ministry. But because I made different choices and did different things, I lost nine years of potential ministry and making a difference for the gospel because of the decisions I'd made. Because I had decided that I was not, like I had to go to the University of Minnesota. Why did I have to go to the University of Minnesota when I was 18? Because all of my friends were going to the University of Minnesota. I didn't want to be the one that was going someplace else. That's how I made my decisions. We need to stop destroying ourselves by making decisions and sacrifices for a false gospel. We've all done it, but we need to stop playing into the thief's hand. We need to stop playing into the thief's hand that comes to us and says, you know what, sacrifice this thing that Jesus wants you to do and sacrifice that thing for Je- that Jesus wants you to do and this other thing that Jesus wants you to do. There'll be time for that stuff later. Right now, make the sacrifices that are best for you. Make the sacrifices that are best for your pocketbook. Make the sacrifices that are best for what you want out of life. But when we do that, we're playing right into his hand. Let's stop doing that. Let's get our heart back focused on what Jesus is saying and calling each one of us to as believers, the sacrifice and the life that he is calling us to make and live. And as we do that, we're going to have our heart revived. As we make choices that Jesus is calling us to make, we're going to see revival and renewal in our hearts. So many people say to me, man, I just don't have a passion for God, but then you ask them, you know, what are you doing in your life that, that is, is in there that's causing a passion for God to rise up and you find that there's nothing in there sacrificially for Jesus whatsoever. You are never going to get to a place where you're passionately on fire for Jesus when you're making choices that it's just all about me, me, and me. And so I want to call us to let this year be a year of God reviving us. Desiree, if you and our worship, uh, Isaac uh, or Kristen, whoever was playing with you, come on up. We need God to bring us back to life in him. We need God to strengthen our hearts and passions for him and his kingdom. We need Jesus to bring us back to a heart of prayer, a heart for his word, and walking daily in his presence. Why did we start the year off with a 21-day fast? We started the year off with a 21-day fast so that the beginning of the year would be a time marked where we're fasting, where we're focusing on Jesus to kind of get the revival fires burning within our hearts to get us focused back on him and who he is. That's how we're revived. And I know that there are some in here that didn't even participate in the fast Not participating is not going to help you be revived and renewed on the inside. Not participating is not going to put you in a place for God to do something fresh and powerful in your life. 
It's not the place where the flames of God are going to get stoked up if you're saying, you know what, I don't have time for fasting. I don't have time for that, that sort of thing. And so what we're going to do this year as a part of our focus to get us revived, to get us renewed, to get us fired up for the things and the presence of God is this is not going to be the last fast we're going to do this year. We're going to have a couple more. I've got three more on the calendar for this year. I promise I won't do them over spring break, although I thought about that, or, or 4th of July and stuff like that, all right? I, I, won't, I won't ask that of you Christmas. We got a fast Christmas, right? No, we're not going to do that. But we're going to have several more fasts this year. We're also going to add a couple of nights of worship where it's just our worship team and where we can come in here and we can let everything else get behind us and just stand here and worship our King and worship our gods. Every single week we have um, a, a prayer guide out at Fam Connections. It's new each and every single week. Another way is to grab that each and every single week and take time and pray through the things that are on there. Because a lot of times it has to do with us and fam church. And then come in here on Sunday mornings with that heart of expectation of what God is going to do. And then there's a couple of more things that I'm not yet prepared to talk about but are really exciting that I think God is going to do in this coming year that he wants from us as a church. And so how we're going to close out this morning is this. Desiree is going to sing that last song, Come Like the Dawn. And uh, we're just going to open the front. And I'm just going to challenge people to come down and ask God to revive them. It's just going to be you and God, nobody else. No one's going to come and pray for you. Where This is all each on our own. Just come down, ask God to revive you, and just worship and sing along with them. And so let's ask God to revive us this morning. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church podcast. FAM Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.